Well, today is part two of our Living and Active series. Last week, Dr. Majeski did a great job kicking it off, and she had the no small task of kind of giving us this overall picture of the story arc of the Bible and where it fits in human history. So, and she did it, she did it really well and set us up uh, for this series and studying scripture. And uh, today we have a treat to be um, uh, given a message by someone who's actually in Indiana and right outside of Indianapolis. Uh, Garrett Edwards graduated from Taylor University. Uh, yeah, do, do we have some alums in the house? No, we're just go to Team Taylor. All right, I like that. Um, in 09 to 13, not to give away your age, Garrett, but um, so he's an alum of Taylor and met his wife there. Uh, currently, he's a campus pastor for Northview Church in one of their campuses and uh, recently applied to be a chaplain for the National Guard. I thought that was pretty cool. He's married to Ashley. They have four kids and also foster parents. And uh, you'll find that he likes to tell jokes. So I'll let you think if you think he's funny or not. Um, but we had a good time first hour and he loves the beach. So Garrett, I don't know why you still live in Indiana. But the coolest thing about this this whole opportunity of Pastor Garrett being with us is that he attended Commonway in his college years. And he has, uh, when he's been available, um, come back and spent time with us, knows Matt, um, has kept in contact with Matt. And as they were catching up uh, late last year, uh, we just said, well, hey, we're, we're going to need some speakers. And would you consider coming to Commonway? And so he's been so kind to do that. And I know I have heard this said a few times. Um, when we say see you later or goodbye or farewell to people or college students, we, we like to end saying, you will always have a home at Commonway. And Garrett, you will always have a home at Commonway, but we're especially thrilled to, to see you as a full-grown adult and uh, serving God as a pastor and looking forward to you, to you bringing us the word today. So would you give um, Pastor Garrett a warm welcome? Thanks, Lisa. And uh, guys, can we celebrate Pastor Lisa and Cliff and their amazing leadership and the team here at Commonway? Let's give it up for Steve, Kyle, and Glenn in the back. You guys are awesome. Craig was here uh, first service, and then Jason. Man, you have some guts lighting an open flame in a men's restroom. So. Well done. All the ladies are like, amen. Uh, so, guys, it's, it's just an amazing privilege to be able uh, to be here. It's, it's almost surreal. Um, as Lisa mentioned, my, my, uh, before we were even married, uh, my wife and I started attending here in about 2010 and immediately fell in love with uh, the people here, with Matt's teaching, with with Cliff's worship style and the incredible sense of, of community here. So my encouragement today is just don't take advantage of, of uh, or don't take for granted, I mean, don't take for granted what God is doing here and how incredible this place is. Um, and as Lisa mentioned, my, my wife and I, we have three kids of our own, uh, one foster child, and life is just bananas. It's crazy, uh, but we love it. <laughs> And um, God is doing uh, some cool stuff in our, in our lives and in our church. 
And again, thank you for hosting us so well. Thank you for um, your hospitality. And we are in this series called Living and Active. Uh, we're in the second week of it. And uh, one of the things that I love about this series is we're, we're digging into God's Word. We're digging into what it means for our lives, how it guides us into truth, how it transforms every area of our lives. And so my one goal today is that we would leave with a renewed perspective and maybe some additional tools with how to engage with God's Word, because it is truly, uh, it is truly that important. Um, this living and active, this language comes from Hebrews 4.12. This may be a little bit of, of refresher, um, but Hebrews 4.12, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And um, quick pastor's tip before we, we move on. If you're ever on stage and working with one of these music stands, always grab it from underneath. I learned that the hard way. Sometimes this top will pop off. I was preparing for a message, and I grabbed it with both hands like this and uh, pulled up, and the thing came off, hit me in the nose. I thought I broke my nose. I got blood all over my manuscript, and I left work for the day. Um, but these, so when I, when we're reading scripture together, uh, there may be many different translations represented in the room. I, I personally really like the ESV. Um, that is one that was presented to me while I was in college. They had just come out with a phenomenal study Bible that was a great resource for me, and so that's what I'm going to preach from. Uh, but whatever translation you have, um, we'll engage with it together. So this, this passage, as I read this passage, one of the questions that immediately came to my mind is, what's significant about a two-edged sword? Like, why would the Bible specify that? And I think my Bible may work a little bit differently than some, but anyway, that's immediately where my mind went. And so I wondered, what, what is it about this two-edged sword? How many Forged and Fire fans do we have? You know, little, little knife smithing, you know? Okay, so I watched the show. Maybe that's where it came from. I have no idea. But I, I, I Googled it, uh, and I was like, what, what's the significance, right, of a two-edged sword versus just a regular one. So here's part of what I found out, and, and I think there's, there's some application here. Um, but one of the things that a two-edged sword di does is it pierces. And even the, the scripture says this, but if you think about it, if you have a blade with only one edge, it isn't going to be able to pierce like one with two. It can pierce accurately and efficiently to hit its target and you know, in the case of weapons, create the maximum damage. But in the case of Scripture, it has the maximum potential to pierce into and to peer into the dark places in our lives, the places that God is bringing to the surface to help change us and to lead us closer to Him and to transform us into His character. The other thing that's interesting about a sword with two edges is that both people have to be aware, both people have to be careful. Because if you think about it, when you're holding a blade with two edges, there's one edge pointing towards you and one edge pointing towards the other person. And this is a key element in Scripture. 
in that we see in the same way that Jesus says, hey, take the log out of your own eye before you inspect the speck in your neighbors, that the word of God allows us to discern ourselves, but also to be discerning about the things around us. The other thing is that a, a sword with two edges can't be grabbed and controlled and manipulated. So if you think about it again, if you're holding that, if you're kind of the opponent, you can't grab that thing in any way because it's sharp on both edges. And, and there's a humility that comes with that. And in the same way, the Word of God is not to be manipulated to our desires. It's to be humbly, that we humbly set ourselves underneath the Word of God as it, as it speaks into our lives and as it, again, illuminates those dark parts of our lives. And my prayer for each of us today is that we would humbly and diligently seek the truth in God's word, that we would think about it, that we would meditate on it and apply it in our lives in such a way that God is able to transform us into his character and into his likeness. So let's go ahead. I'd like to offer a word of prayer as we jump into our time today. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. And I pray that that through your word, we would see you, that we would see your character, that we would see your love, that we would see your kindness, and that, that through your word and the working of the Holy Spirit, God, we would be transformed. We love you and thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, um, as Lisa mentioned, I do love jokes, and uh, when she asked me to write uh, kind of a little bio, um, I said I love long walks on the beach because I just thought that'd be funny. I don't really. I'm more of a mountains person. Um, but I don't know. I just thought it was funny. So, but as I said, I'm, I'm uh, uh, dad uh, to four kids right now. And my oldest is nine. He would tell you he's nine and a half. Um, but the hardest part, one of the hardest parts about my kids getting older is they don't appreciate my sense of humor anymore. The things that used to be funny, they, they're like, Dad, this isn't funny anymore. You know, it's embarrassing or whatever. And uh, they've started to tell me to stop telling my dad jokes. But as we know, these things come full circle, you know, and dad jokes are funny again when you're a dad or an adult. So um, I can't tell these to my kids anymore, so you're going to have to endure them for a couple minutes uh, here this morning. Did you hear about the red and blue ships that collided? All the sailors were marooned. That is so good. My neighbor gave me a new roof for free. He said it was on the house. Did you hear about the teenager who failed his driving test? He thought it was a crash course. That's terrible. I actually didn't read that, I don't think. Sorry about that one. Where do surfers learn to surf? At boarding school. That was great. A duck walks into a bar and buys everyone around. He tells the bartender, put it on my bill. I mean... All right, so we're not doing dad jokes today. We're talking about the Bible. So let me paint a common scenario for us. And I think this happens to a lot of us. I know this happens in my life. But as I consider engaging in God's word, this is a common process for me. Something will happen in my life. Either I'm making a New Year's resolution or I'm stressed out about something. Or, you know, something happens that pushes us to say, I want to I read my Bible more. I really want to make this a discipline in my life. And 
So, so we do. We open up to a book, a random page, whatever that might be, and, and we read it for a few minutes. We may begin our days, maybe several days, or even if we're extra disciplined, several weeks in this way where we engage with God's word. Um, and before long, though, what I've noticed and what you've likely noticed is a couple things. One is the problem that led you to double down on your Bible reading may have passed. You got a new job, the person got better, mid-January hit, and your resolutions have expired. Uh, Whatever that thing was that led you to reading your Bible again has passed, and you have a lot less motivation to read it. The second thing that you may notice, and this is kind of a subtle thing, but I've had this thought, you know, I'm putting in this time, I'm putting in this work, and the unfortunate reality is my life doesn't actually look a lot different than it did before. And I think those things can lead us to become either disillusioned with the process. They can lead us to wonder why I'm doing this. They can even lead us to stop the habit or practice altogether. Recently, we had a guy come into the church, um, and he's a decision scientist. He was leading this seminar for our teams. I didn't even know decision sciences was a thing, but... It's pretty cool. And one thing that he said was completely fascinating to me. He said that people make decisions for two reasons. And those two reasons are values and emotions. People make decisions for values and emotions. That's it. Those two reasons. And from my experience, I think the way that these things come into play is our Our emotions can move us to a decision. Our emotions can move us to a decision, but it is our values that keep us there. For example, when I was younger, I was a very impulsive child. I know this because my mom tells me a lot. And I have four siblings, and it's funny because there's a lot of content for holiday conversation. You know, we're just coming out of kind of Thanksgiving and Easter, but Typically, the topic of conversation always revolves back to all of the things that I did as a child. And it's fine, you know, you get used to some of those things. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that some of these emotional, impulsive decisions, you actually need to think through them uh, a little bit more because the stakes are a little bit higher. Let me give you a, a recent example. So all of us remember when the world shut down with the pandemic. It was a scary time. It was a stressful time. It was a painful time. Uh, for a lot of us. And uh, it was like along those couple weeks where there was just so much unknown. And my wife made the unfortunate decision of asking me to go to the store alone, which in our house, I don't do typically because I... uh, I'm an impulse buyer. I mean, we already talked about that, okay? But I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can go to the store for you. And so I got my mask, my, you know, gloves, whatever, and we go to the store. And it was a horrible experience for me. First of all, the place was packed. There was people everywhere. And I knew we needed, like, some frozen meat. So I go back to the meat section, and it was like all the weird meats, you know, like the gizzards and the stuff with the bones in it that it's just like coming out of weird places. And so I just scrapped that idea. And so I'm going to go get some canned meats. Well, I went 
to the can section and everything was gone. And then I went to find toilet paper. That was all gone. It was super weird. And I'm like, this is like every end of the world movie I've ever seen. Got super anxious. I started sweating, you know, but I'm like, Garrett, I keep telling myself, Garrett, you can do this. So I got a few things that we needed. And on the drive home, I felt like an absolute hero. I mean, I was like, I did it. I came, I saw, I conquered. And so I'm pulling into the drive, feeling good about what I had done. And I knew that I had made a mistake when I set the groceries on the counter. And my wife gave me that look like, what were you thinking? Because the three things that I ended up buying were a jar of peanut butter, a bag of coffee, and a six-pack of Budweiser. Which for me, those are pandemic necessities. But when you've got four kids in the house... (laughs) I, I mean, I could live on that for a while. Um, but she looked at me, and I realized that I had made that decision based purely on emotion. There was no value add to the family. And so she gave me that look, and instead of asking me to go back out, she did the wise thing and took the keys and went out herself. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Emotions have their place. We can be stirred to do incredible things as people. God has given us emotions for a reason. But it's when our emotions and our values align that makes the real difference in some of these changes. So what in the world does this have to do with engaging in our Bible? When we go about engaging with God's Word, we have to understand that a life of ongoing Scripture engagement is fueled at times by our emotions but all the times by our values. And you as a church value Scripture. And that is one of the things I love about this place. One of your values is biblical accountability. I found this from your website. You may or may not even know it's on there, but it is. So the the line, and I love this, truth doesn't have an expiration date. How does a book written so long ago still apply to our lives here and now? The simple answer is this. Truth doesn't have an expiration date. Although the cultural contexts and customs in the Bible have long since changed, the truth God speaks through it does not. It is as applicable as ever and keeps us accountable in our lives today. I love that your website has that front and center. So we value Scripture for the truth it contains and how it can change our lives. But the big question that I want us to answer together today is how do we read the Bible in such a way that it transforms our lives? How do we read the Bible, how do we engage with Scripture in such a way that it actually changes us, that it actually transforms our lives? And before we get to discouraged, we see this gap between information and transformation all the time. Take exercise, for example. The CDC says that less than 25% of adults regularly engage in exercise that's going to transform and benefit them towards the good. And yet, I would guess that 100% or at least close to 100% of us know that exercise is good for us. So how do we bridge that gap in our lives to take the information that we have 
So for scripture, hey, we know this is truth and this is wisdom. How do we actually apply that to our lives in a way that's going to transform us into the character and in the likeness of Christ? I think part of the challenge is that we either haven't engaged in these things long enough to see the results, see the transformation in our lives, or we don't know how to. We don't know how to engage in God's word in a way that's going to result in transformation. So I'm going to offer this quick uh, kind of equation, I guess, that a little bit of a framework that we can use as we engage in Scripture. Um, and they all rhyme with shun. So that's a great pastor trick. You're welcome. Information plus application plus affection equals transformation. Okay? Life is not this cut and dry. However, I do think it can be a helpful framework for each one of us. So our text today is 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. So you can go ahead, whether you have your Bible, your phone, or whatever, it's going to be up here. But 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17 is where we're going to be. And kind of in the, in the spirit of this series and in, in, in our time together, I didn't want to just prepare this message to present some of these truths. I wanted us to almost prepare it together to study this passage together. And, and my hope is that through this study, through this time together, that you maybe gain a, a new skill or a new awareness or a new paradigm for engaging in God's word. So again, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17 says this, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So as I prepared this, I read through this several times to let these words soak in, and then made some mental notes about what jumps off the page at me. What do I find funny? What do I find exciting? What do I have questions about? What might I not understand? And so you kind of, I kind of walked through these questions in my mind. So let's start at the top and work our way through this together. I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 again. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. When I read this, that very first word stood out to me where he says, you. And so often when I read the Bible, I forget that these are real people with real problems, with real stresses, 
that are following God in a world that can be hard to do so. And just that little word reminds me of who is hearing this. I recently started watching, I know I'm really late in the game, but I recently started watching The Chosen. Anybody watch that series? That's one of the cool things about this series is it reminds you like these are real people walking through some of this stuff. It's just a good reminder. The next thing is the last line where Paul says, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. I'm not going to go through them all, but if you look at seven, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 and following, you're going to see a pretty lengthy list of the things that Paul endured, including being shipwrecked and stoned and beaten and who knows what else. I mean, he was bit by a snake. Like, that's just crazy. Um, but for me to know what Paul experienced, to know all of the things that he went to and through, and yet he can say that the Lord rescued me from all of them, that just blows my mind. And so for me, I read that, and I'm like, man, that is a faith-building verse for me. Moving on, in verses 12 and 13, it says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I had to laugh at verse 12, because as a pastor, this is about the worst church growth strategy ever. If you follow Christ, it's going to be hard, and it's probably going to be painful, right? So it's like, oh boy, um, that's a tough one. You're not going to find that in a lot of church growth articles or books. Um, but C.S. Lewis has this quote. It's, it's actually framed in, in our house. He says, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace within difficulties. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace within difficulties. And as hard as it is for us to understand, as hard as it is for us to wrap our mind around this truth, you know, I know for me, a lot of times I want to be saved from the hardships and difficulties of life more than I want God's peace and presence. That's just an honest confession. And yet what I know is that the, the more important truth is that God is always with us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that we have our hope and our joy in him. As we work down through in verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what Paul does here, I love how he communicates, hey, think back, remember back to your childhood. Remember back to how God worked in your life when you first discovered his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace. I think he's calling them back to their emotions, to be awakened to the excitement of following Christ, not in a manipulative way, but in a grounded way. Say, hey, let's not walk away from this God that we decided to follow so long ago. It's a simple call to remember back. And then he says that these sacred writings are able to make them wise. We kind of see that shift from value or from emotion to value. 
And, and then I ask myself, do I have this vision of Scripture for my own life? Do I, do I see this as the truth that is able to make me wise, that is able to guide me through life, that's, that's able to, to lead me and transform me into the character and the likeness of Jesus Christ? And then how does my life reflect that truth? And then here's the final two verses. In, in starting in 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. One of the things that was interesting to me is that phrase, breathed out by God, that imagery not only was it cool, but it was also a little bit confusing. Like, what does that mean? And so, uh, as I mentioned, I, I have a, a, an ESV study Bible, and so I pulled it out. And what it said in there was that Greek word for breathed out by God, or God breathed, as your translation may have it, is theonoustos, which is just a Greek word. Okay? So, but the cool note was that it, the, my study Bible said this word does not occur in any other Greek text, biblical or otherwise, prior to this letter. And so Paul is making up a new word to describe God's revealed word to his people. It's almost as if, I mean, I have no idea if this is true, but it's almost as if I can picture Paul in my mind saying, how, how do I describe this thing that is so incredible? that yields so much for our life, that points to the divine origin and the divine authority of Scripture. It's almost like the words that I have don't accurately describe what this, what this is. And all of this came from 10 to 15 minutes of study in a good study Bible. I love how accessible, how approachable God's word is. It's infinitely deep, and there's always something to learn, and yet through the Holy Spirit, we can understand it for ourselves. As Lisa mentioned, I went to Taylor, and I did take uh, the Greek classes. I did take the Bible study classes, but, but one of the unintended consequences of going into the biblical languages is this feeling that you can't really understand the word of God without them. And I just want to encourage each one of you, I didn't arrive at these thoughts and what I'm communicating through those four years of Greek. Guys, there are incredible resources like study Bibles and commentaries that each one of us has access to to study and understand and to access the incredible, incredible Word of God. Now, this is the information part. We just walked through the information that is there. And now it's time to apply. So how do we apply the Word of God to our lives? Again, this can be different for each one of us as we go through this passage, but one of the main application points for me was found in verse 11. When Paul says, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So it's saying, hey, when I'm stressed out, when I'm anxious, when I'm feeling led by God to do something, maybe an act of obedience, I'm like, hey, this is going to be hard. This is going to be stretching. 
Maybe instead of ruminating on the what ifs in my mind, maybe I could point to how has God stepped in for me in the past? How do I remember what God has done in such a way that it leads to worship instead of the worry that's so easy to go to? So we move from the information to the application, finding something that we can grab onto and build into our lives. And then we go to affection. I know this is an interesting word to maybe throw in here, um, but how do we build affection for anything in our life? We engage with it. Sometimes we feel like it, and sometimes we don't. I remember I had a mentor in college. I had several. I was blessed by incredible men um, in my life. And I remember talking to him. It was right before I got married. And we were just talking about marriage and life. And, and I'm like, how do I remain just strong and passionate, all these things throughout my marriage? And he had been, you know, married for, at that time, several decades. And he was like, you know, whenever I get discouraged, whenever I get down, whenever marriage is just hard, it's like I always remember and remind myself what my life would be like without my wife. And that always stuck with me and has carried over into other areas. And I just try to remind myself what my life could look like without God in it. And that is the scariest thing of all, really. I mean, if you think about it, like that is very, very sobering. As we remember what it might look like without God in our lives, but all the ways that he has cared for us and loved us in our lives. I love the book of Psalms because David is constantly remembering back to what God has done. He remember the good deeds of the Lord, remember the works of the Lord, remember what he has done. One of the most helpful practices for me, and we're going to do this together at the end, is praying scripture. You can do this with any passage, and I want to lead us through a specific one at the end, but, but oftentimes in my study, this is a great way for me to wrap, wrap it all up um, in my study. And so again, I, I'd give you an example, but we're going to do that together at the end. Once again, information plus application plus affection equals transformation. A few key principles as we go through this to keep in mind is, number one, know the context. So a phrase I learned in school is context is king. So know the context in which you're reading a passage. I want to look at a, just a quick and maybe kind of goofy example. But if you go back up to 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17, it says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Okay, now you could take that verse, pull it out of the context, and it could mean a lot of different things. I mean, I really don't know another passage that has the word gangrene in it. Uh, so, so you ask questions like, well, how do you define irreverent babble? What does it look like to lead people into more and more ungodliness? Who does this apply to? What does this mean? And it is the appropriate context that helps us understand these passages. So if you zoom out and look at the chapter, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
You'll see in verse 14 that Paul is being very specific about appropriate behavior for a follower of Christ. If you expand to the whole book of 2 Timothy, you'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, that this is a personal letter from Paul to Timothy about spiritual conduct and spiritual leadership. Then you can expand to what this verse means in the context of the New Testament, as well as Scripture as a whole. It's a very important to remember the appropriate context in which these verses are written. The other thing that I want to talk about is the role of the Holy Spirit in our understanding of Scripture. Guys, without the Holy Spirit working in and through our reading of Scripture, information will just remain information, and any application will just be behavior modification. Information will just remain information, and any application will only and ever be behavior modification without the role of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding this entire process that illuminates our minds and our spirits to God's truth. The Holy Spirit reminds us of God's word when we're not in front of our Bibles. He convicts us of sin. He comforts us in our trouble. The Holy Spirit is the necessary ingredient for any transformation to actually take place, and we need to rely on him in this process. I want to take us back to our central passage for this whole series, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And as we see, it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that that transformation happens. And I want to um, very quickly outline just a few very practical things that you can do to really get started in engaging with God's Word. One of them is just to read it. I love the book of John for the life of Christ, and it's a great book for a new Christ follower to read. It's a personal favorite of mine, so just open it up and read it. Scripture memorization. This is a tough one uh, for me. But it allows each of us to hide God's word in our heart and to recall it in moments of need. We talked about praying God's scripture. You can journal it, either writing it out manuscript form. Uh, you can write down questions that you want to ask the text. It's good to set a goal. Um, and uh, last year, I recently went through with my staff team reading the Bible in a year. It's a great process to be able to do. It's hard to really dig deep with that volume of reading. So there's pros and cons to that. But getting started, I love the reading the Bible through a year. A couple resources that you can jot down are on uh, Bible Gateway. If you use that resource, there's a scripture engagement tab on there that has tons of incredible resources. Um, the Bible Project has really good videos for you and or your family to help understand some books. Guys, if you're researching something, whether it's a passage or topic, go back uh, in the Common Way podcast and see what Pastor Matt has to say about that. He's an incredible teacher. And then Right Now Media is another one that you can look to. As I mentioned before, I, I wanted to close our time today um, by taking some time as a church and going through the practice of praying scripture. This is something you can do at home. 
Praying scripture is simply taking God's word and offering a prayer through it. And I love the book of Psalms. I always have. And this is a book of prayers, which is incredible and can really guide and inform our prayer life. So let's go ahead and do this together. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'd like to take just a few moments and quiet our hearts before God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Father, we thank you that you are our Lord, that you are our shepherd. And we know that as we are following you, God, we have all that we need. We have all that we want. And we thank you that you care for us as a shepherd cares for his sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Father, thank you that you lead us to these pastures in our lives that are lush and they're fruitful, that you give us the provision that we need, that the pastures are green and the waters are still, that you lead us into your peace. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Father, we thank you and we praise you that death is but a shadow for those who are in you. Lord, we know that whatever experiences we have in this life, We know that whatever hardships we face, whatever pain we endure, whatever anxieties and whatever fears that we are wrestling with that may keep us up at night and cause our heart and mind to race, God, we know that in and through it all, Lord, you provide your hope and your joy and your grace and your gift of life now and life eternal. Father, I pray that as we go from this place, we would cling to that hope that we only have in you. As we engage with your word, God, it would illuminate the things in our lives that you seek to change, that it would give us hope, that it would give us light in the midst of darkness. Lord, you are a good, good father and a good God, and we thank you for your word. Give us the strength and the awareness to hold it in our lives as truth. We love you and thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much. There will be, after the service, prayer in each of these corners. We invite you to come up and receive that. Um, Have an awesome week and be blessed.